And if this morning, if you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, specifically. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page number 627. 627. As you may know, we are going through a series in Ephesians, but I thought for our Father's Day we would take a brief break from, from Ephesians and jump into Proverbs chapter 3. We'll actually, if I remember correctly, we will be finishing uh, the book of Ephesians next week. Uh, so we'll be completing uh, that letter and we'll be looking on towards our uh, series through the summer. As we'll be taking a look at some often misunderstood and misapplied Bible passages and I'm uh, hoping that that will be something that will be edifying to you and will be, be, will be a good series to attend. For now, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. Listen carefully, because this is God's word that is for you. It reads, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to God in prayer and ask his blessing on our message today. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us, that we might know what you would have us do and how we can live. Lord, we do thank you for this source of wisdom that you've given to us, and I pray that we would use it well. Help us to pay attention, but most of all, help us to believe. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah, Father's Day, a holiday that only exists because Mother's Day came first. <laughs> it only took about 58 years for it to be recognized in the same holiday status that Mother's Day was, probably because it was given to some father who said, I will get to it, dear. <laughs> yes. I'm not complaining uh, as a father here. It is actually our joy as fathers to provide for our families. We're not looking for thanks. We're not looking for recognition. But it is a joy for us to pass on. And for those of us that are fathers, there is a certain sense of accomplishment and fulfillment that comes from being able to provide for our families, put a roof over their heads to keep them comfortable, make sure that they're fed And we have a lot of comfort, dare I say identity, from being able to pass on a lot of these physical blessings. Especially if the Lord has blessed us with the ability to leave an inheritance for our children, a legacy 
that will support them even when we are no longer present to do so. But I think there's something that is very, very easily overlooked in what we pass on to our families. Yes, it is important to provide and put a roof over their heads. Yes, it is important that we put foods in their bellies. But the most important thing is that we pass on wisdom on to our children, which means we have to grasp it first, doesn't it, in order to be able to push it forward. But where do we get wisdom from? Where is a source that we can say this is not only just of information, but wisdom, what to do with it? If you are to ask Google what would be some fatherly wisdom to pass on, you'll get a lot of answers like work smarter and not harder. Or put effort into whatever you're doing and don't care about what other people think of you. Which is interesting because in order to follow that advice, you need to care at least what that person thinks of you in order to follow it. I've even asked ChatGPT uh, to tell me what, I, what it thought was wisdom. And it, the answer that it gave me was to be true to yourself and your values. Now, all these things, I suppose, can sound profound, but all of those things are basically saying the same thing. Namely, figure it out for yourself. I don't know. And what all of those pieces of advice lack is authority. Why should I work smarter, smarter, not harder? Who says? Why should I be true to myself and my values? Who says? There's no authority there. There's no grounding there. It's just live life. Do the best you can. That's not very wise. It's not very comforting. There's no knowledge that we're actually going the right way. But what we find here in Proverbs is very different. This is the source of authority because it comes from God himself. Listen to one commentator's take on it. He says, The Father's teachings in Proverbs constantly echo Deuteronomy, whose message flows from Yahweh in the heavens, through Moses on Mount Sinai, to parents at the city gates, and into the lives of children in the home. Hear what he's saying. This words that we are seeing, what we're going to study and take a look at really closely, are coming down from this pipeline from God right to us. And with that, we have a true foundation for how we're supposed to live life because we're getting the Creator's instructions on how life is to be lived. So from this section, well, really the entire book of Proverbs is all authoritative and really we could do well to look at any one of these chapters today. But I was led to... Proverbs chapter 3, we're looking at verses 1 through 12, and you can see on your outline, which is on the back of your prayer guide, it's on the insert in the bulletin, you can follow along there. I'm giving us three takeaways that we can get from this passage. Three pieces of advice that this father is passing on to his son. First one is remember what God says. Remember what God says. And then number two, replace your wisdom with God's. Replace your wisdom with God's. And then finally, return when God corrects. Those are going to be our three pieces of fatherly advice to his son. So let's dive in and let's take a look. This 
book was written, or at least most of it was anyway, was written by King Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived in Israel. And these are his sayings that he has written down and is passing on to his son. And one of the first things that he is telling him is, do not forget what I'm telling you. Don't forget my teaching. Why does he begin there? Well, I think one pastor, isn't it? Pastor Kevin D. Young, had put it this way, and that all of us are on a slope towards disobedience. If we are not actively resisting our own sense of forgetfulness, our own abilities to disobey, we're going to be sliding down the slope every time. Our hearts are just inclined in that way. So he's beginning by saying, don't forget what I'm saying here. This is important. It is important, and it will be important, so don't forget what's being said here. I was at Presbyteria. I got to speak to one of my friends, pastors of church in Selma, and their house was hit by one of the storms that rolled through last week, and he was talking his uh, 19-year-old son through how to turn the generator on. And he was saying, I know I've shown him that many, many times. And I said, well, yes, but now that it's necessary, he's going to remember. And that's what we tend to do with God's teachings, isn't it? We'll read our Bibles and we'll say, okay, yes, I can see that that's important. But we got to make sure we don't forget it. It's going to come up. As his father was walking his son through how to turn the generator on, this is going to be something that's going to come up. Now, for him, that's probably going to be the only time it's going to come up this year. But for us to remember God's commandments, that's going to come up this afternoon. Pay close attention. Don't forget what God is telling us here today. Because what this is, is not burdensome commands. But that these are paths of blessing. And that's exactly what he gives to us here in verse 2. So right after, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Two ways of saying the same thing. And gets into verse 2. For, because... Length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. As that commentator points out, you can hear the echoes of the Ten Commandments. In Commandment 5, honor your father and your mother and you will live long upon the land. And here, that's what he's saying here. God's promises are still in effect, even though it's a good 500 years after that's been happening. He now says, you, we will, our lives will be longer in general. And then he gets here this line, and I love this, and peace they will add to you. The word for peace that is used there is a Hebrew word that you probably have all heard of at some point. It's the word shalom. And it means more than just a lack of war or a lack of conflict. You know, the way we tend to use the term peace and quiet. That's not the term he's using here. Shalom, as one uh, commentator talks about that this gives you a sense of wholeness or fulfillment. Went on to say, implicit in shalom is the idea of unimpaired relationships with others and fulfillment in one's undertakings. Have you ever had that moment where you get to sit down at dinner with your family and everyone is getting along? The meal has been prepared correctly. Everyone is enjoying each other's presence and things are just going well today. That's what he's talking about here. And this comes from following commandments. We don't tend to think of it that way, do we? 
We tend to think of following commandments as something that's burdensome and hard. Like wearing an itchy sweater. Just something that's like, it's here and I just got to deal with it. No, these commands are what ushers us into this life of fulfillment and peace. Now, does this mean that life is always going to be rosy and easy? No. In fact, that's one of the great paradoxes here of Scripture, is that you can find shalom within conflict. That's why this is not the absence of conflict or the absence of war. This is fulfillment and quiet within it. And that comes from following these commandments and following this wisdom that he is unfolding for us. So we should really have our attention here at the moment. We might have been curious, but I hope he has our attention. As he goes through what he's laying out here, why we don't want to forget. It's going to add years to our lives. And then he goes on here in verse 3 as a poetic repetition where he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So here in these first four verses, he's laying out for us the charge. Listen carefully because this is God's word. This is a word of blessing to bring you into peace and find success. Success is God-defined as we'll see in a moment. But what does it look like to bind this around your neck or to write this on your heart? Are we supposed to literally bind our Bibles to our chests and walk around? That's what actually some have interpreted that to mean. But that's not what he's saying here. Instead, what binding this around your neck and writing it on your heart is what we find in verse 5. Doubtless, this is something that many of you have memorized in verse 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Here, when it talks about heart, both in verse 5 and back in verse 3, the heart is the center of the person. This is who you are. One commentator put it this way, What is true for the heart is true for the man as a whole. Your whole being is a part of this. And here it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. What does it mean to acknowledge the Lord or to have knowledge of God? We tend to think of acknowledging God, as one commentator put it, as like tipping your hat to God. It's like, yep, he exists. He's a part of my life. But is that all that this is calling us to do? I think he's right when it says that that's not what he's talking about at all. That knowledge and acknowledgement is actually something much deeper. One commentator's name is O'Dowd, who put it this way. He says, knowledge in the Old Testament is a matter of participation, like knowing good food, a favorite clearing in the forest, or a close friend. Such knowledge is multidimensional, without borders or limits. It might be most helpful to picture knowing God in all our ways as a poetic, artistic, and open-ended endeavor. It is a work of continuous imagination, 
disciplined into our experience of God and his world. Listen to what he's saying here. Knowing God is like, I love his expression, like knowing good food. How do you know good food? Spend time with it. When you have a good steak, you can feel that compress in your mouth. Notice the flavor, the temperature, the texture. You compare it to the other foods that you've had and how that stands out to everything else. Your whole center is just concentrating on this one experience in your life and is to be enjoyed and savored. That's the knowledge of God. That's acknowledging God in all your ways. It's enjoying the Father. That's very different than just saying, oh yeah, God's a part of my life. I've read my Bible occasionally. I go to church when I can. That's very different. Or I also like his comparison to a favorite clearing in the forest. A place where you find peace and enjoyment. And you know every tree that's around that. You're very familiar with it because you love it. Because it means something to you. Do you acknowledge God like that? Do you savor the Father and what he gives to you? Maybe that's why you have found it hard to obey and trust him. You don't enjoy him. You haven't spent enough time with him to see how it is. Have you ever taken your child to a fancy restaurant and you give them this beautiful piece of food? But because the flavors are complex, they just spit the thing out and say, ah, don't want that. It's like, son, that costs $15. How can you not enjoy that? Well, often we act like that. We want the McDonald's McNuggets of our lives, the cheap entertainments of Netflix and a full bank account because we won't take time to savor the good things of God or we won't put the effort to discover where they are. It's an open-ended endeavor. Thinking about God the way a poet would think about a sunset. It's not just saying, yes, it's yellow. Or saying, yes, the earth is rotating in such a point to where the degrees will allow the sun to shine through the clouds and hits the color spectrum. That's how we can often approach God as well. He can be a technical philosophy to work out or some mystery that's probably too deep for us to understand anyway. And instead, it's his bringing together of these two things, knowing these true facts about the Lord and then seeing them like an artist and enjoying them, savoring them. That's what it is to remember what God says, to savor what he commands, knowing that what he's bringing you is peace in conflict, hope in the midst of hardship. But we move on to our second point as we get to verse 7, where he 
cautions us to not be wise in our own eyes. This is where we get to point number two, is to replace your wisdom with God. We see this again in verse 8. It's a, another promise that this will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones to not be wise in your own eyes. Why does he do this? Well, it's really tempting for us to be wise in our own eyes. For us to be the captain of our own destiny. To forget what God says. I think there's a number of reasons for it. One is because, well, we're sinners. We don't want to do what God says. We want to follow what we say, and our hearts are inclined towards that. So it's very natural to do what we want to do. We have to, something that we have to fight against it. But I think there's another reason why we can so easily fall prey to this, is we don't know what God's wisdom is. We're not familiar with it. Perhaps you've heard the term, God helps those who helps themselves. Do you know half of America believes that's in the Bible? It's not. You can't help yourself. That's the whole point of the Bible. God's here to help you, to rescue you. We are described as being dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people can't help themselves. But we think we do. I've not escaped this either. I remember when I was, I was younger, I thought that the, the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness was in the Bible. So, <laughs> I know, it's so embarrassing. But people grow. Following our own wisdom never leads us anywhere. This can come either from our own sinful nature or simply being unfamiliar with the, with the scriptures. But I think, as a commentator had pointed out, sometimes we fall prey to this because living a wise life can be complicated. Sometimes there are multiple good and biblical approaches to a problem. And sorting through how to apply wisdom is a lifelong dedication to an art form. But we've got to dedicate our lives to it. We have to spend time here in this word. We have to spend time with our Lord in prayer, sorting through these issues, relentlessly asking the question, what would God have me do here? And when I come to an answer, interrogate that answer and say, why is that the answer? Is that coming from my own noggin? Or is that coming from God's word? It's a lifelong process. And it can be displayed in terrifyingly pragmatic ways, which is what we see here in verses 9 and 10. We might think here in verses 9 and 10, you might think, because I might, because I thought when I got here in verse 9 where it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with new wine. This seems to come out of nowhere. It's like, Solomon, I thought we were talking about wisdom and peace and the path of life and remembering God's commandments and not substituting our own wisdom. Where is this financial advice coming out from? Why is this here? Is this just because this is a random assortment of Proverbs that are just kind of cobbled together? Or is there something to the order that these have been put in? Well, there is something to the order that has been put in. And again, thanks to Mr. Mr. O'Dowd, who have been very helpful in my sermon preparation here. He talks about that this is where we show how much we trust in the Lord. 
In other words, to put it in our in a proverb from our own culture, is putting our money where our mouth is. Do we honor the Lord with, with, in that which we trust? We put on our money that in God we trust, but so often it's in those dollars that we trust. And honoring the Lord with our wealth seems rather foreign. Isn't he just happy for me to show up once a week and sing and pray for a little while? No, if this is going to come from our heart, it will show in our finances as well. Now, this isn't to mean that the only way to honor the Lord with our wealth is to divest ourselves of all of our worldly possessions and live on a cardboard box on the highway. What actually God is asking for is actually much harder than that. A one-time radical, a radical divesting ourselves of wealth is not what he's asking for. What he's asking for is us to be answering the question with all of our possessions is how can I use this for God's glory? When we get a pay raise, what's our first thought? Often that will reveal where our heart is trusting. Is it, oh good, finally, I can put more towards our this retirement fund, or I can finally go on this vacation that I deserve, or I can finally do this, that, or the other. What's your first impulse? Is it, how can I honor the Lord with this? Sometimes those things can be very practical. Yes, I can honor the Lord by providing for my family or be getting out of this debt that I've accrued. You know, yes, those can be practical things, and those are good and right. But the question should be asked, how can I honor the Lord with this? This isn't something to be be in a panic over, but it is something that we are always in orbit, returning to this question. How can I help establish this? And it says here in verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, some can take this to mean, as we will see in our series uh, in the summer here in July, we can be confused that when Proverbs tells us something like this, to say, oh, well, this is a guarantee. If I honor the Lord with my money, then God will absolutely give me more of it, and I'll have thousands and thousands of dollars, and we'll have all these things. That's not what Proverbs is offering you here. The Proverbs is meant to be a general principle. When you honor the Lord with your wealth, if your first thought with your money is honoring God, it is unlikely then that you are going to be foolish with it. And that there probably will be savings and there will be provisions for the future because your first thought isn't, how can I satisfy a heart that never has enough? That's pouring money down a bottomless pit. But when money is not about satisfying my greedy heart anymore and is about glorifying the Lord, guess what? There's more of it around. This is not being consumed by the black hole of my desires. But I think there's also something here and that when we find when our money and when our possessions, whether it's money, time, clothes, whatever it is, when we're giving it to the Lord, we find out how much we have. When our hearts are no longer set on being able to hold our possessions with a tight hand, we realize how much we have in Jesus. And that we can truly say, even in the poor house, that my barns are full. 
and that I have all that I need. So those are our first two points. We'll move quickly through the third. We need to remember what God says, because this promises good things and peace to us. We're to replace our own wisdom with God's wisdom, because we will always be led astray when we do it our way. Always be led astray when we do it our way. And finally, number three, return when God corrects. Here in verse 11, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Y'all, this is really hard. Our first impulse when we go through something hard is to say, oh, God must be mad at me. Or God's getting me for something. That's not the case. God is not getting revenge on you when hard things come into your life. But instead, he is disciplining us towards a better life. This isn't discipline just in terms of like punishment. Jesus has taken all of the punishment for us, as we'll talk about in just a second. Discipline can also mean in the same way that we discipline a military, getting them ready for the task that's at hand. And sometimes the Lord takes us through hard things because he has something for us to do that we will only be prepared for by going through this. God is always taking you to something and is forming you for something. So don't despise it when it happens. If every time the, when the drill sergeant was to bark out to his soldiers to do another round of push-ups, if everyone groans and wonders, why is we going through this, training just takes that much longer. But when we're given a vision of where we're going, all of a sudden we know what the purpose of all those push-ups are. We know what the purpose of all these exercises are. It's to form us into the likeness of God. He's giving us this wisdom for us to be conformed to what he would have us to be. But if we're really honest, when we look at these Proverbs and we think to ourselves, okay, so what you're telling me, in order to live a life of wisdom, this means I need to Stop being the captain of my own destiny. This means I have to surrender my agenda to God's. This will look like acknowledging God in all these areas of my life. This will mean taking an entirely different relationship with my possessions than my surrounding culture tells me to. And this will mean to submit to hard things where I can't always see the purpose of it. There's no way I can do that. And you're right. We are given what the standard of wisdom is. And if we're honest, we can't uphold that. That's why Google tells us to just be true to yourself. But we're given something more. As, to borrow one last time from Mr. O'Dowd, 
He says, just as God first spoke light into creation, so he has spoken again in Jesus to make his glory fully apparent to us. For Paul, to know Jesus means to be transformed into his very likeness. And in this likeness, we come to walk in the ways of wisdom and righteousness. What Lady Wisdom could not do with our fallen state, Jesus has done for us and in us and through us. What is he saying here? We can't live this perfect life of wisdom, but there is someone who did. And his name is Jesus. He didn't forget any of his father's commands. He lived every aspect of life in acknowledgement to God. He was constantly in delight with his father. Was wise in all of his dealings with his possessions. And he did so perfectly. And then we killed him. We put him on a cross and watched him bleed and die. But even that was part of the plan as well. Because what this meant was Jesus was taking the penalty for all the times in which we broke this wisdom, in which we were fools. Jesus went to the cross and became a fool for us. Satisfied all of the just wrath that was aimed at us, he took it all on himself. He paid all of the penalty that is due for our foolishness. And he died and was buried for three days and then really rose again from the dead. And then ascends into heaven and then looks at all of us. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. As we read earlier in James That if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Why can we ask of God? Because we deserve it? No! Because Jesus earned it. And now freely offers it to you. So now instead of just having a God who is correcting us, slapping us back onto the path, that's not what we see here. We have a God who is crafting us. Like a carpenter, shaving off. These pieces of wood. It's slow progress. And to anyone who doesn't know what's going on, it doesn't look like much progress is being made at all. Ever seen someone work with a planer? It's like a little skin of wood comes off. It's just like, what kind of progress are you making? But slowly and surely, plane after plane, stroke after stroke, a shape begins to emerge out of this crooked piece of wood. That's what he's working on with you. Now, if you say, oh, I don't know if he's working on me. I don't know that I know Jesus at all. Well, maybe it's time you were introduced. How do you come to know who Jesus is? You ask him. He's so merciful. If you come to Christ and say, I don't know how to live this life. I don't have any wisdom to draw on. I need you to tell me. I need you to change my heart. And he will. And as he forms you, crafts you into the likeness of Jesus, what do you know? You'll start living like this, like what we've seen here. Will it be perfect? No, it will not. But are you going to slowly look like your father? Yeah. 
comes from time spent with Jesus. In closing, if you ever have the chance to get to know my father, my earthly father, Dr. John Jessup, you'll notice that I have many of the mannerisms that he does. And while we did a lot of those father-son things that you do, he took me to ball games, he took me to church, took me to conferences, we spent time fishing, all those good quality time things. All that's important, absolutely. But it was the quantity times that I spent with my father that has given me the mannerisms that I do. The way that I'll rub my face when I'm tired or how I will cock my head when I say something. If you're able to watch my father, you'll see I'm very much a replication of him. But that's because of time that was spent with him. Nothing can replace that. And it's the same way here with Jesus. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you will look like him. And the more it will become unconscious. I don't do these things that my father does because I'm consciously thinking about it. It's just a part of who I am now. And it's the same thing with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more time you savor him, the more those other things in life will lose their delight. And the more you will react like he would when encountering these situations. So fathers, here today, pass this on to your children. Look like Christ. Spend time with him. Let him form you. I know everyone depends on you, but you depend on him. Rest in him. You're not alone here. And then as he forms you, let that be the opportunity to form your children and pass on this legacy of wisdom. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for making this sort of a thing possible that we might know who you are. We thank you for revealing yourself not just in the Proverbs, but most fully in your Son. Oh, let us look to Jesus. Let us find all of our hope in him. Help us to trust in him. Put our full weight of our heart in him. Help us to turn away from our sins and turn to you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I would invite you again, uh, if you don't know who Jesus is or saying, it's like, what do you mean by putting your trust in him? What do you mean by turning away from my sin? I don't know how all that works. Please come and see me. I'll be at the the back uh, of the sanctuary after our service is concluded. Nothing would thrill me more than to help introduce you to the God of wisdom. If you don't have time today, please set an appointment with me. This is This is the most important thing that you can square away with today. Be reconciled to your heavenly father if you have not been. For now.